The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boot rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see this face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and there you're going to see two videos. So the one on the left side of the page is Bradley's show from yesterday. And uh, so if you missed that and you want to catch it, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern today at which time you'll be live in that little area right there on the right side of the page. And by the way, just a heads up for you guys listening by the radio. I'm going to be playing a video. You can hear it. You'll be able to hear it, but uh, you'll be able to see it. If you want to go to sonslibertymedia.com. It's right there on the right side of the page. Click on it and you'll not be able to hear it. You'll be able to see the reenactment that goes on with it. We did this years ago when I was at niceandcouncil.com. And uh, we picked it up and then we put like a front load on it. We we gave an introduction to that. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm going to play that for you because some people, I think I played it years ago on the show. And when people saw it, um, they were like, well, um, you know, what what what's the problem here? Uh, we, we've never seen this before. We've never heard this before. And so I thought I'd bring that back again. And the reason I'm doing it, that this is going to tie into kingdom stuff that we're talking about. Because the king has not changed and the law has not changed. I don't want to get off the subject, but if you're if you're on the radio and you want to do if you want to see this when I play it, go to sonslibertymedia.com, click the play button, blow it up on whatever device you've got, and then look for the rumble icon, bottom right hand corner, click that, join us in the chat. A lot of friends over there on Rumble. Good morning, guys. Great to see you guys. And then <clears throat> Also, we're streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. If you just want to go there, you can do it, or you can go to beforeitsnews.com, top of the page there. The guys have given us a space on their page, and we appreciate that very much. Real quickly, if you want to sign up for our email newsletter, that's right up under where we're streaming live, sonsoflibertymedia.com. <clears throat> I don't know why my throat's getting stuff in it right immediately when we start here. 
and then also, if you want our, that goes out once a night. Also, if you want our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. And uh, there you can sign up right on the front page. That goes out once a week on Saturdays, usually about what's going on with the Sons of Liberty. Okay. And then finally, if you agree with our message, you would like to help us stay out there doing what we're doing. There's a donate button at the top of the page. Click on that. Make a one-time donation or partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of Liberty. And we appreciate you very much. Now, before I play that one, I, you know, I've had some people because of some of the teaching and because the fact we reference the Romans and the Jews have come together. They've, They've killed the Christ. They've done all these things. Oh, you know, here you are with your anti-Semitism and blah, 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 all this stuff. And I can go through the thing and I can show you that at least 80% of the people in the modern state of Israel who call themselves Jews don't look anything Semitic. They look European. It's because they are. <laughs> okay? It's because they are. Uh, you claiming to be Jew means nothing in the scriptures. All that stuff is done. The true Jew is the one circumcised the heart, Paul says. And he was, he was a real, he was a, from the tribe of Benjamin, he had been circumcised in the flesh, but he, it was the circumcision of the heart, he says, that makes the real Jew. Okay. So if you have the faith of Abraham and you've been circumcised of heart and only God can do that, then you are the true Jew. You are the true child of Abraham. You are the true children of Israel. You are the true Israelites. Okay. With that said, I was reminded of a uh, of a video that I wrote a script for. For it was like uh, it says eleven years ago. It was somewhere in two thousand eleven. And when when I was there uh, doing my stuff in Nicene Council, one of the things that I did uh, was we started a weekly like a YouTube deal. We were trying to stay within three minutes, and most of the time that didn't happen. We were going five to eight, and um, so this is one that I have that I want people to see. Maybe this will resonate with some of you once you kind of see this, the logic of what's going on here brought out. Now, this deals with dispensationalism. And <clears throat> so I was asked recently, I think Bradley asked me, he says, can you break that down for me What in the simplest terms? And I said, well, the two major things is for dispensationalism is they separate the church from Israel. They separate the church and Israel. Now, remember, the church is the ecclesia, right? It's the ecclesia. It's the people of God. It's the assembly. Or, as I've more clearly come to understand it, the government of God. This is how he governs, through his church. This was the same thing in the Old Testament. And you go, there wasn't a church back there. There wasn't an ecclesia. Oh, yes, there was. Read Acts chapter 7. Stephen says as much the church of the ecclesia that was in the wilderness. And he's talking, he's recounting to them their, their history. All right. So that's always been, there is no, dis, there's no separation of that. Yes. Was old Testament Israel destroyed in 70 AD? Yes, it was. What you see going on in the middle East right now has nothing to do with Bible prophecy it has nothing to do with it. They were utterly destroyed the way God said they would be in Deuteronomy 28. Okay, that's part of his promises to them too. For people who think that they're the chosen people. No, they're not. If you want to know who the chosen people are, God, you find people who love the Lord Jesus, who are seeking to obey him, 
who have embraced his sacrifice for sin on their behalf. And they're willing to forsake all to follow him. That's the chosen people of God. And they come out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So I've been, you know, there have been times where I've been accused of being an anti-Semite. And I just respond basically with sticks and stones, right? Because I know what a Semite is, and the majority of people who claim they're Jews are, are not Semites. Anyway, with that said, this is a, a piece that I wrote, and the guy who is speaking here is a friend of mine, Jerry Johnson. This is who I used to work for there. And um, I hope this will be helpful in that, and it kind of builds on some of the things. Maybe it's some additional ammo. And also, what we're going to talk about with Davy Crockett in this hour uh, will also be helpful, I think, in showing you how the kingdom, it's not an issue of we change laws. No, we dropped off all the, the types and shadows of the, the ordinances that were there in the temple sacrifice system and all that. We did do that. We dropped that off. But when it comes to the moral law of God, it's still in place. That is his law for all men, all times of all nations. Okay, so here's here's the video uh, that I wrote the screenplay for. This is Jerry Johnson presenting it called Is Dispensationalism Anti-Semitic? And some of you are going to pick up on some of these things. If you're saying, what what is this dispensationalism? You're going to you're going to get it as you go through because you're going to hear some of these things that I've heard, too. Here it is. Christians who do not agree with the unbiblical teaching of dispensationalism, specifically as it relates to the modern geopolitical nation of Israel, are often referred to as racist and anti-Semitic. But the charge is baseless, as no Christian that I know promotes hatred towards or violence against any Semitic people group, including those today who call themselves Jews. In fact, we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the modern-day Jew as much as we do the Irish or the Chinese. However, when one considers the theology of dispensationalism as it relates to the modern state of Israel, you can't help but wonder if the charge of anti-Semitism better describes their doctrine. Hello, I'm Jerry Johnson, and I welcome you to this edition of Against the World. Allow me to state clearly that I do not think any dispensationalist harbors animosity or hatred towards those who call themselves Jews. The point I'm going to make here is that their doctrine, no matter how you slice it, is explicitly anti-Semitic if you follow their definition of anti-Semitism. Let me give you an example of what I mean. First, they claim that God is not dealing, for the most part, with Jews today and really hasn't done so since the time of the apostles. Well, doesn't this imply that God is not interested in individual Jewish people? But what are the claim of the apostle Paul that God was dealing with them in his own day, even pointing to him himself as an example of God showing mercy to that people? Second, they claim that God will deal with the Jewish people sometime in the future. This presupposition is built upon a faulty assumption 
that there is a race of people that are Jewish. Listen carefully. Judaism is a religion, not an ethnicity. When God focuses his attention on them once more, according to dispensationalists, it'll be during the Great Tribulation period, which they have kind of seen in the not-too-distant future for the last 200 years. But what exactly happens to the modern-day Jews who dispensationalists are urging to return to the ancient land of Israel? Well, one, dispensationalists believe that Revelation 14.20 teaches that the blood of the Jews will flow across the entire expanse of what is modern-day Israel and that it'll be as deep as horses' bridles. For it to be that high, my friends, you're going to need a lot more Jewish people living there than you have now. Two, Jerusalem will be hit with an earthquake that'll cause one-tenth of the city to fall and 7,000 people to die. Three, they then point to Zechariah 13.8, which reads, quote, And it shall come to pass, and in all the land saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part shall be left therein, unquote. Listen to what dispensational scholar Tim LaHaye's Prophecy Study Bible Notes says about this passage. Quote, Prior to Israel's conversion, Zechariah predicts that two-thirds of the Jewish people living in the land will perish during the tribulation period. Only one-third of the Jewish population will survive until Christ comes to establish his kingdom on earth, unquote. My friends, if I were a modern-day Jew, I'd be getting quite nervous at this point. Why? Because many dispensationalists teach that two-thirds of the Jews must be killed before the second coming of Christ. Therefore, they are seeking to help modern-day Jews immigrate to Israel, because according to their interpretation, they need the Jews there. And they believe that two out of every three of the Jews that they're sending back will be slaughtered so prophecy can be fulfilled and Christ can return. There are even ministries, like on Wings of Eagles, that accept donations to fly Jewish exiles back to Israel. By doing this, they believe they are helping promulgate the events that will lead to the second coming of the Lord. Basically, they are rounding up Jews for death, are they not? What is strangely sad is during all of this, they are not even preaching the gospel to them. They are using them, with a smile on their face, offering help. But help for what? Well, according to their own interpretation, it is so God will once again deal with them by killing off two-thirds of the population. With friends like this, who needs enemies? Beloved in the Lord, the dispensational interpretation of prophecy is neither biblical, historical, nor logical. The Jew is called to believe the same gospel as the Gentile. They are not to look for a geopolitical empire, but they are to look to the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for sinners, was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again on the third day, and has been and is now seated at the right hand of God, the King of kings, ruling with a rod of iron from the throne of David. This King commands all men now everywhere to repent and bow their knee to him whether they be Jews or Gentiles. Until next time, 
This is Jerry Johnson standing contramundum against dispensationalism's anti-Semitism and the world. Okay, all right, so you get the idea. There's enough in there. Most of you have probably heard some of that the stuff that, that Jerry is talking about there. And so I wanted to kind of pitch that in because again, this is this is the distortion of things that we've already looked at. All those deaths of Jews, that's already taken place. It's already taken place. Great tribulation already taken place. In fact, next week when we pick back up on this subject, we're going to read some more stuff from Josephus, Tacitus, and some other people. And I'm going to tell you, many of you have never heard it. You've never heard it. And when I read it, I want you to tell me. You come to the conclusion what you think it sounds like in Scripture. Okay? So, we're that Lord willing, we're going to have that. I hope I'm going to be able to bring that on Monday. Tomorrow, we're going to have Captain Ben Davis back with us. He's got just some amazing things. He's been with us twice about his stand against the COVID shots in the military, how they kicked him out. He, he lost his house over it. He's been living out of his RV. And, but he says, oh, God has blessed me, my family, my relationships, my wife, my kids, uh, just in every way. And he, he said, I've got some good news to tell here of some things that are advancing in his case as well. So we're going to be bringing him on tomorrow, Lord willing. But stay tuned for next week because we're going to go through some things that I know some people have some interest in. And here's the thing. Let, let's stick with, you know, I know there's a lot of stuff that gets said in the, um, in, the, uh, in the chat. Let's stick with the topic, okay? Let's stick with the, 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 the thing that we're on. You say, well, I can ask about that. Yeah, you can ask, but I'm going to try to stay on the topic that we're on. So let's try to do that, and I think it will be, I really think it will be more helpful. Uh, we'll eventually get to those things, but I can't answer all things at once because as soon as I say something and it doesn't agree with your mind, I haven't presented the evidence to show you that yet. So I would rather show you from the scripture what's going on. That way you can grasp it. You don't say, well, this is just Tim saying this. I want to go to the scripture. I want to lay the foundation for that. And it's it's it takes some time to do that, okay? Especially when we have so much error that's in our world uh, that we need to do that. Okay, so now on to the topic here. 23 minutes in. <laughs> I'm sorry, not 23. Take off five of that. I'm counting off the, uh, the top of the hour. Okay, so <clears throat> today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a situation that happened in our history. And this does flow from the things we're talking about because we're talking about we have a king and he has a law. All right. And the bulk of that law you can find in Exodus 20. You can, that, is the, that is the root of the law. The moral law that is expounded in Leviticus, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, where it's, where it's expounded there, all of those laws come from these. They're not something that's just out there separate from these. They come from the initial 10. And right in the middle of the 10, we read this. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Okay? And why? Well, let's back up to where he begins to give the law. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, 
out of the house of bondage. So, therefore, since I am the Lord thy God, Yahweh, I am the I am, I am the I am. Since I, since I am that, then here's my law. Obey it. Okay? And I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of bondage. I want to give you liberty. I want to give you freedom. But that liberty and freedom comes under boundaries. Moral boundaries. They're to keep you from hurting yourself and from hurting other people. Okay? So anybody that tells you, well, we can't have God's law, it's oppressive, it's tyrannical. No, it's not. Man's law is oppressive. Man's law is tyrannical. And we're going to see that in this little excerpt that I'm going to play here in just a little bit. So why is this important? Well, it has to do with even, our, not just now, here and now, it has to do with our eternal destiny. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? There's that little phrase again, the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Those are sodomites. Nor thieves, nor covetous. Notice that, nor thieves. Nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And he tells the Corinthians, but such were some of you, but ye are washed. Washed how? In the blood of Christ. But ye are sanctified. How? God set you apart. He made you holy. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. You've been made in right standing. You have the righteousness of Christ if you're in him and by the Spirit of our God. In Timothy, we're told, for the love of money, not money itself, at least not uh, lawful, not lawful money, we've talked about the system we're in, is unlawful money. It's not lawful in any shape or form. But the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And he goes on to say, uh, you know, don't say that godliness is gain. Actually, it's, it's actually above that. <clears throat> He said, this is verse 5 of the same chapter, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. How many of these TV preachers do you see preaching gain is godliness? Oh, if you just give to me, then you, God will bless you. And their, their implication is he's going to give you a whole bunch of money back. He's going to do all these things while you give to false teachers. No. No, nope, you're going to reap the reward of giving to the false teachers. Okay? But he says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Um, let me give you just a couple more, and then what I want to do is I want to play this, and then I want to read you Davy Crockett's speech after what takes place in this video. To the Ephesians, Paul wrote, let him that stole steal no longer. If you want to know what repentance is, are you a thief? Quit stealing. 
are an adulterer, quit committing adultery. If you're uh, uh, an idolater, quit being an, quit being an idolater. Repent. That's that's the idea. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. This this society that we live in that is built upon welfare, stealing from, and this is what it is, stealing from some people to give to others for a variety of reasons. I know, look, charity is to be done by the individual, not by government. Governments can't be charitable. They cannot be charitable because they don't have anything to give with. See, the difference between the church and the governments <clears throat> is the church wants to obey God. They don't want to steal from people. It's completely voluntary. You go to the book of Acts and you'll see people took their lands and they sold them. And they brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet to take care of whatever needed to be taken care of. And you remember um, there, were, there was a husband and wife that were struck dead because they sold their land and they wanted all this. They, they seemed to want the praise for giving all the money, but they kept back some. And they were struck dead. They were covetous. Then we have Exodus chapter 22 and verse 7. If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house, if the thief be found, let him pay double. If the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought into the judges to see whether he have put his hand unto his neighbor's good. For all manner of trespass, whether it be an ox or an ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing which another challenges to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. And he goes on and he, he speaks about these kinds of things there. And then finally here in Leviticus 19, we read this. <clears throat> Verse 11. Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. All right. Now, with that said, we understand what stealing is. And it doesn't matter if it's an individual doing it. It doesn't matter if it's a gang that does it. It doesn't matter if it's a government that does it. It's wrong. It's stealing. Okay. Now, with that said, that's sort of the... The opening salvo here, uh, this, this video runs about 22 minutes. So if you want to watch it, sonsoflibertymedia.com, beforeitsnews.com, or over on Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. And again, the introduction here comes from uh, my friend Jerry Johnson. Uh, we did this video, We uh, at least the, the first part of it. The, the other part, we got the rights to reproduce, but we did the first introduction part here up in Virginia. And uh, he's going to introduce this. I passed by about 15 or 20 seconds of just music interlude to just get right to it and then you'll you'll be able to see this if you're on the video platforms you're going to be able to hear the interaction if you're on the radio here it is it's called it's not yours to give the christian duty to help widows and orphans is clearly stated in the bible by the apostle james in his epistle chapter 1 verse 27 pure religion and undefiled before god and the father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows 
in their affliction. Beside the clear command to help the helpless, God's word equally and emphatically forbids stealing and extortion. Yet there are some professed Christians who believe that stealing is a virtue so long as it is done in the name of social justice. They advocate political programs to feed the hungry, house the homeless, and clothe the naked. But governments, like all human beings and institutions, are subject to God's law and are specifically commanded not to steal. In a segment on the O'Reilly Factor, the host, Bill O'Reilly, asked his guest, Mr. Bernard Goldberg, to comment on a statement made by the Lord Jesus. Mr. Goldberg interrupted O'Reilly by saying he didn't care what Jesus said. He went on to explain that if Jesus was here in the flesh today, he would be a liberal Democrat. His basis for this comment was the liberal and progressive belief of spreading the wealth, which he maintained would have appealed and was the same message of helping the poor as that which was taught by Christ. As already noted, this idea appears to prevail in the minds of millions of Americans today, even those who call themselves Christians. They reason, Jesus said to help the poor, and the entitlement programs do just that. Therefore, Jesus would approve of socialized medicine and countless other social programs. But let me state here and now that I could not disagree more with this idea, and I believe it runs antithetical to what Christ taught as revealed in the Bible. Taxing, or better stated, taking earned income from one group of people and giving that money to others is the quintessential definition of stealing. In the name of compassion, Congress forces others to give to their favorite charities. And this not only creates an atmosphere of vote buying, but it is also a clear violation of the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. And hear me on this. It is also a violation of the Constitution of the United States of America. And I submit that even if you yourselves are not picking a man's pocket, but you elect candidates to do your dirty work for you, you are still culpable for their actions before God. That this is wrong on numerous levels, I want to share with you an event that took place in Congress in 1828 and an appeal on the House floor by then Congressman Colonel Davy Crockett. While the exact text of Colonel Crockett's speech was not transcribed because this was not a practice in those days, the spirit of his words in regard to those proceedings was captured in 1867 in Harper's Magazine in an article entitled, Not Yours to Give, and later included in a book called The Life of Colonel Davy Crockett by Edward Ellis. Now please note that there are detractors who do not believe that the following account is legitimate. The producers of this video are aware of the arguments these detractors make. Still others maintain that it is real history and should be taken at face value. However, in the final analysis, the issue may be moot because the point made is still valid. Congress, it would seem, is very generous when it comes to other people's money, and yet they have no right to be. Dear Mr. Congressman, as a friend, I feel an obligation to explain to you why I cannot support you in the Charity Appropriations Bill. 
My conviction stems from an incident that happened just last winter. You may remember the night. It was frigid, or as some would say, colder than a beaver's tooth and ten times as destructive. I thought I saw him gnawed off in session there. <laughs> oh. Colonel Crockett, this is a night when a coonskin cap would be the more appropriate attire. Yes, sir. <laughs> Although coons have more sense than to come out on a night like this. <laughs> Colonel Crockett! Hall of Georgetown! It's on fire! What? Good God! Oh, no! Well, let's see if we can help! The next morning, in a flurry of noble passion, my colleagues and I introduced a bill appropriating $20,000 for the relief of the good people of Georgetown. All other business was put aside so it could be rushed through. Morning, ladies. Howdy, baby. Howdy, baby. Davey Crockett! Oh, how you doing, old-timer? Fine, thank you. Say, you're doing a great job in Congress. You can count on my vote anytime. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. All right. Mr. Bond, almost forgot your change. You're a fair man, Mr. Higgins. I appreciate your time. Oh! This is for your son. I overheard him say he'd like one. Why, thank you, Mr. Bunsen. He's often told me about your carbon. Thank you. See you next week. Uh, good morning to you, sir. I'm Colonel Crockett. And uh, I overheard your name to be Bunce. I believe there's a man named Bunce in my district. I believe you're right, Colonel. Well, if you're headed home, Mr. Bunce, I'd appreciate uh, riding along with you. It's not often I get a chance to jaw with my constituents. And since it's just... Since it's election time. Well, yes. All right. I'll get my horse. I had heard about this man from various sources. He was not what you would call sophisticated. He had a reputation for having a shrewd political eye. And I thought if I played my cards right, his influence could make my candidacy untouchable. But the ride proved to be uh, uncomfortable in more ways than one. So, Mr. Buck, you expect anyone to oppose me in the election this next term? Hey, this jerk in myself. I like it hot. Well, as I understand it, Mr. Bunce, I won't if I have your help. A word has that you're a man of influence in this county. Uh, what is your opinion of my first term in office? Well, Colonel, I think you've done some darn noble things. And some criminal ones. I will never vote for you again. Criminal? You said criminal, Mr. Bunce? I demand an explanation of what you meant. Forgive my seeming rudeness, Colonel. I didn't mean to insult you. But last winter, you raised a vote I just can't overlook, which shows, in my opinion, that you have neither the 
capacity to understand the Constitution, nor the ability to be guided by it. I'm afraid I don't follow you, Mr. Bunce. I recall no vote last winter upon any constitutional question. Didn't you vote for a bill of $20,000 to relieve some sufferers of a fire in Georgetown? Well, Mr. Bunce, I do admit to that, certainly. I doubt that anyone could complain about a great and rich nation like ours, given the insignificant sum of $20,000 to relieve suffering women and children. Colonel, if you have the right to give to one, you have the right to give to all. And since the Constitution neither defines charity nor stipulates the amount, you are at liberty to give whatever you think proper to whomever you darn wish. So you see, Colonel, this opens a big barn door, not only for fraud, corruption, and favoritism on the one hand, but for robbing the people on the other. No, sir, Colonel. Congress has no right to give charity. Well, Mr. Bunce, you seem to be one of those men who likes to criticize without providing any solutions or alternatives. Colonel, I dare say that any of the individual members of Congress that felt any real sympathy for the people of Georgetown, they or some of them wealthy men in and around Washington could have given $20,000 without so much as a sneeze. No doubt those same folks applauded you the loudest because you relieved them of the necessity of giving by giving what was not yours to give. So you see, Colonel, you have violated the Constitution on what I consider a vital point. It is a precedent dangerous to the country. For when Congress begins to stretch its power beyond the boundaries of the Constitution, there's no limit to it, and therefore no security for the people. My place is just up ahead here. I tell you, Mr. Congressman, in that moment, all the praise I had generated for myself because of my so-called noble Georgetown deed grew as worthless as the dust on my congressional boots. I wanted to argue with him, to, to justify at least some part of my action. But as I sat there, searching desperately for a point to contest, I saw that there was none. Because this simple farmer of remarkable intelligence and insight was absolutely and totally right. Oh. You can tag the horse up over there. But, as embarrassing as this is for me, I do admit to you, sir, that if I'd had your clear, hard sense and understanding of the Constitution, I'd have put my head in a cannon before I'd given that vote. I, uh, I realize that asking for your support would be pretty presumptuous. But if you vote for me again, I give you my solemn word as a United States congressman and a gentleman that I will never 
vote for another unconstitutional law so long as I live. I tell you, sir, Mr. Bunce had the uncanny ability to make a man sweat like he was caught between a she-bear and her cub. I didn't quite know what to expect next. Colonel, if I recall, it seems to me you made that same promise once before. When you were sworn into office. However, personally, I think I'm in favor of giving you another chance on one condition that you make the same apology to the folks around here that you just made to me. Now, if you do that, I'll see what I can do to push what little influence I have in your direction. Horatio Bunce spoke of the little influence he had, Mr. Congressman. Now, I've been working pretty hard but everywhere I went, this humble man's name brought respect and attention and allowed me opportunities to appeal to the people. I was fortunate to spend several nights with different members of my constituency and became reunited with a treasure of simple ways and simple talk. Most importantly, I was able to spend many hours with Horatio Bunce. We often talked of the principles and affairs of government. About a week later, at a big get-together... all those people Got a good crowd for you to talk to. Fine ready to talk to these good folks? Indeed I am. Alrighty. Folks, please gather around. I hope our congressman here won't mind if his podium is a supper for my cow tomorrow. Or maybe you better ask the cow. <laughs> well, uh, Colonel Crockett? Fellow citizens, or rather friends and neighbors, in this book, there's a proverb that says, Before honor comes humility. You're looking at a man who's eaten of that apple. Now, many of you I've come to know well during the past couple of weeks, and my eyes have been opened up to truth which ignorance or prejudice or pride had hidden from my view. I want to acknowledge publicly what I've been telling some of you privately. I made a mistake. I voted for an appropriation of money which was unconstitutional and morally wrong. I see now that my error has or will cost you in multiple ways. I understand more clearly how destructive a noble cause can become when it's under the direction of a misguided politician. And a cocky one is that. I will never make that same mistake again. Now, I, uh, I had planned to ask for your votes today, but I cannot. I simply ask for your forgiveness, not only as a congressman, but as a human being. Thank you.
hole, Mr. Congressman. Those honest, hearty shouts and the trust on the faces of those simple but wise people have meant more to me than all the honors I have received and all the reputation I have ever made. And that is why, sir, when you introduce the bill to aid the widow of that distinguished naval officer, I must vote no, for I cannot contribute to another act of unconstitutionality. I shall offer a suggestion that, instead of an illegal appropriation to a charity case, that I, as the first, offer one week's salary to a private fund. And I'm sure that if every member of Congress will do the same, it will amount to more than the bill initially intended. Sincerely, Colonel David Crockett. When Congress begins to stretch its power beyond the boundaries of the Constitution, there is no limit to it. The Constitution neither defines charity nor stipulates the amount. You are at liberty to give whatever you think proper to whomever you darn please by giving what is not yours to give. As most of you know, Colonel Davy Crockett was killed during the Texas Revolution on March 6, 1836 at the Alamo. His death marked not only the passing of a great man, but also the passing of the belief that Congress is limited by the Constitution, especially when it comes to the unlawful practice of appropriating money out of the public treasury. Colonel Crockett understood as a result of his encounter with Mr. Horatio Bunce that the public treasury is not Congress's personal piggy bank and to take money from one citizen and give it to another was not only a violation of the Constitution, but it was also stealing, plain and simple. Voters today cast their lot not for the one who will uphold the Constitution, but for the candidate who promises to give them more taxpayer money. To say it another way, the prevailing mindset of the average voter seems to be, what's in it for me? The more of other people's money a candidate promises to give, the more likely they will continue to be voted into office. In our country today, we see the tendency of the masses to look to the state to be our savior and provider instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friends, no matter which way you slice it, this is idolatry, plain and simple. As a result, Horatio Bunce's prediction has come true with a vengeance. America in the 21st century has witnessed the state grow to behemoth proportions. But all is not lost. The Christians still can repent of the sin of idolatry. A modern reformation of the church is what we need. And this reformation, like in times past, can and will defeat the march of the tyrants. Tyranny, and hear me on this, tyranny cannot stand when the church exerts its biblical mandate of authority over all of culture. So how do we do this? The Christian must turn to the Lord Jesus, read and study his word, apply it to all areas of life without exception, accept no behavior that he has not had the light of God's holy infallible word shined upon it. Stop depending on the government to provide.
and vote anyone out of office, be they Democrat or Republican, who believes that the public treasury belongs to them. And most importantly, take up his responsibility to care for the widow and the orphan, which is the responsibility of the church, not the responsibility of the government. Let these words from 2 Chronicles 7.14 burn into your minds and the minds of your children. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, amen. And, uh, you know, I, I have a little difference because, I, you know, I see even within our Constitution, we have things where we're saying or where somebody said for us and we're just born under it. Well, we're going to take this money. We're going to build roads with it. We're going to do these things. So there, there are things where man has distorted what God has said to do or not to do. There is theft run amok. And because the church. Because the church has not upheld the king's word and his law, they have, they have said, well, it's okay to take money to do certain things. And now, if you start in a little bit, like what the guy said, you, you give two, 20 million as much as you can, 20,000. When that happens, the church must cry out and they must demand that they repent, that they bow the knee to the king that they as some too kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Quit doing it. Quit doing those things that dishonored the king, that show hatred for your neighbor, because that's what that is. Oh, it sounds good, doesn't it? You listen to the State of the Union. doesn't matter if it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Barack Obama. I mean, <clears throat> I was amazed at people who think that Donald Trump was was constitutional. And I know I pick on him a little bit, okay? I, I get it. But he's talking about taking a million dollars to plant trees. Is that government's responsibility? No. Government's responsibility is to punish evildoers. Who are those evildoers? The ones the Bible says are evildoers. And to justify the righteous. They really don't have any job but that. That is what they're to do. Uphold the law, the king who gave the law, and live under that and live in liberty. That is true liberty. And let, me, I, let me ask a question in, in dealing with this. It, it kind of hopefully brings the full flower here of the things we've been talking about the last six shows regarding the kingdom of heaven. Let me, let me, ask, something, let me ask something here. Whose government are we to be under? The government of God. Yahweh, specifically. Not other gods. The God of the Bible. And who is he given king? Jesus. Yeshua. He's given him as king. And we're supposed to be his people. And our job is ambassadors. We are a part of that government. Paul says it. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're calling the world to be reconciled to God. We're coming and we're, we have authority because Christ has authority. 
All authority in heaven and on earth. Don't give me this stuff that the devil's running the world. That's not it. Jesus said, either you believe this or you don't believe it. Okay? Jesus said he has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's not hard to understand. It's really not. Why do his people not act like he does? Because they've been deceived. They've been deceived. They don't act like Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth to tell men what they can and cannot do. Nor do they feel that they are the ones to speak out against the lawlessness that goes on. I've already shown you, we went through several shows where we talked about the lawless money coming out of the Federal Reserve. And everything it funds is against us and against other nations. Everything. Look at the billions that are going to Ukraine. It's not there to fight Russia. It's there to be used against their own people. Those are neo-Nazis over there running the show in Ukraine. They have been for years. And people get upset, but they don't push the law of God, and they don't issue the edicts of the king to call these people to repentance and to punish them. To punish them. The ecclesia, for the most part in America, not all of it, but for the most part in America, they've lost their salt. And you wonder why they're being trampled on in some areas? They've lost their salt. And that's what Jesus says. If, you if the salt loses savor, what is it? It's good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I don't want to be that kind of salt. I don't think many people who listen here want to be that kind of salt. We want to be those who uphold what God has said in his law and in his gospel. Let's do that. And this is just one example. Let's not get distorted that government has the right to be charitable because they don't. But the individual is commanded to be charitable. Love one another. And Jesus said to his disciples, even as I have loved you. How did he do that? He loved them with everything that was in him, just the way the law of God says that we should do. Bradley, be with you at 3. We'll be back in the morning, 6 a.m., Lord willing, with Ben Davis. You don't want to miss that. This is, this is going to be a glorious time. We're going to talk with Ben, and we'll talk with you then. See you.